Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Raising Vibration Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Raven, and with me tonight is a very dear friend of mine, and I'm I'm so thankful and blessed. Uh, we haven't been friends very long, but Karen uh, Steenemeyer is going to join us. And Karen, go ahead and say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Right? <laughs> yes. Awesome Saturday. So, yeah. Karen, uh, give us a little bit of a background about you. I mean, I know everything, you know, what I've learned you know from everything. you being a friend, but uh, no, I don't know everything. Okay. But share your, because you have a very interesting life. Yes, I have had a very interesting life. You should write yeah. a book. <laughs> Many people have said that before. I don't know. I may. I may. I sort of um, start writing sometimes and then switch titles all the time. Anyway, <laughs> depending when, when the mood hits me. Um, my name is Karen Stienemeyer. I was born Karen Krivobach in 1958 in Brooklyn, New York. At, uh, yeah, my parents lived in a little apartment, Kings Highway. My parents were originally French and German and grew up during the Second World War. Um, my father outside of Paris and my mother in Germany. Her father was a German soldier um, who then later was a prisoner of war um, in France for seven years. I think he was away altogether. So, wow. Um, and my father, um, whose mother was French and his father was Russian um, uh, from a nobility family in Ukraine, actually, but of Russian descent. Um, he grew up in Paris during the war and both his parents still worked. So together they would go into Paris um, on the train every day, even during the war and the bombardments and everything else going on. And um, he had the opportunity when he was 17 to be sponsored by a US congressman from Pennsylvania um, who was family associated with us through marriage. And he sponsored my father and my father went in 1947, two years after the war ended to live um, life as a typical teenager in Pennsylvania, very interesting. And he fell in love with the United States and everything that was there and did then everything he could to become an American citizen, including joining the German army, uh, uh, the American army as a foreigner and being stationed to Germany during the Korean War, where he met my mother, who was German and was a nurse, or studying to be a nurse. And the two of them came back to the United States um, in 1954 and married in 1955. And I was born in 1958. I have two siblings, a sister named Marlise, um, who's four years younger than me, and two years after that, my brother George, who lives in Brooklyn, my sister lives in Kentucky. Um, we grew up between New England, France, Germany, um, moving basically every year while my parents changed campus. My dad was a private school teacher. He taught Russian, French, German, uh, Spanish um, at private schools. Wow. Uh, now private schools um, and also ran a, the American school, school year abroad, the American school um, in, in for residency in Rennes, France. 
So I spent my third grade and my eighth grade year living with my grandmother outside of Paris, going to French school because my sister and I grew, grew up bilingual speaking French. My brother grew up bilingual speaking German and English. Mm. He didn't speak French. We didn't speak German. <laughs> but that's the way it was at home. Um, and every year my parents took to Europe and spent 18 years going to Russia, starting in the 70s, taking American study programs there. Um, and uh, I got to go once in 1974, and my siblings um, went several times to Russia. Um, and then we were in France, and my parents returned to the United States. And when I was 19, I left for Germany with two suitcases. I came back. <laughs> In 2019, with uh, 34 cubic meters of container, so I guess it was a long and successful time in Germany. Mm. Um, I first worked in in a catering kitchen, probably my love for cooking for large groups of people. I did first class and staff meals. I was 19 and cooked for 30 staff members every day. Wow. <laughs> and you didn't um, speak German at all. Oh yeah, I speak. I I learned German though in in school in high school. Okay. Um, my first language was Spanish, so I spoke French and English. Mm -hmm. Then I spoke Spanish, and at some point I spoke German wow. as well. I still do. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to become a flight attendant with Lufthansa German Airlines. Um, they didn't want me <laughs> as a flight attendant, but they did take me as ground personnel and I worked for them for 43 years um, wow. until I retired, um, sort of going up the ladder between starting at check-in and later doing vocational commercial qualification, um, working in product management. I was an elected employee representative for seven years for two terms and um, spoke often in front of several thousand people and the board and other <laughs> things when I was young and ran uh, big negotiations with the executive board and other top management. Then I finished that to product management, innovation management, then I changed over to IT. And in IT, I did sort of the whole gambit um, first with pricing tools, and then later doing change management and software implementation and change management worldwide, um, including four and a half years of project work at 25 international destinations from Beirut, uh, Amman, uh, Kazakhstan, Bangkok, Nice, Paris. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wow. So, <clears throat> 43 years I traveled both for business and pleasure um, to the Philippines and everywhere. The only places I haven't been is uh, to Japan, China, Australia, and New Zealand, and the South Seas. That's not really, and South America because it just doesn't, it, I've been to Colombia and, and, and Venezuela and Honduras, but it doesn't capture my focus as Asia does. 
Yeah, so I was married twice. Um, the first time when I was very young, at 22, to a Scotsman who worked for a Greek airline. We then divorced four years later, and I remarried in 1995 to a German journalist who I was with for 25 years. We have one son who's 25 years old, or will be this year. Um, his name is Jasper. Lots of people here know him. <laughs> because he's both a very popular waiter at the local St. Pete uh, Mullet Seafood that also helps me a lot in my endeavors, both at the cottage downtown and at Universal Unitarian and with my street feeds and collecting donations and bringing and picking things up and with the time bank. And he's very helpful and um, like me, he has a big heart. <laughs> well so the people that listen to this podcast though are all over they're not here in st pete oh okay. i have a few listeners here in st pete but yes. the majority of my listeners are all over so uh i have people from germany listen to this podcast on Anchor <laughs> FM. yeah so we have people from all over. <laughs> in petersburg <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's it's really amazing. And, and our goal on the show is if there's one, you know, if we have one person that we help out tonight, we've accomplished our our goal. Just one person, anything, anything that's said that helped them to do anything. That's the whole purpose is to help raise somebody's vibration on this show. Yeah. So. But so I know you from the time bank. Yes. Yes. And I've had the privilege of spending a couple of Saturdays with you at passing out food to the homeless. Yes. And right. you don't go to a, a, a like a, a regular homeless, homeless place. Like we have those here where they have a soup kitchen and you, you know, it's not organized at all. No, you are actually fixing the food yourself. A hot meal, no less. We're not talking about peanut butter and jelly. We're no. talking about... <laughs> A hot meal, I tell you, she could. Uh, the first time I passed out food with her was with Thanksgiving meal. It was Thanksgiving, yeah. It was with turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy stuffing. and stuffing. The whole nine works. Vegetables. Uh, did you have sweet potatoes too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Both yeah. potatoes. So we had all the trimmings and the cranberry and we had dessert. Yeah. yeah, and and she makes tea for them, gives them punch, mm -hmm. bottled water. Then she passes out socks, first aid kits, underwear, uh, pants, hygiene articles, shoes. shoes. Yeah, heavy shoe week last week. <laughs> yes, I so so yeah. So I I had the privilege and honor to go out and do it. And you're going and you're hunting these people down. To find them, to give them, to no, them down. Um, I, I, I'm observant. Let's put it that way. I notice. I when I go through St. Pete, I notice where are there um, people clustered in certain places that are homeless. Basically, I started doing my homeless work um, through an, a, a bunch of people in Athens, um, a group called Pareo, which in Greek means friends for friends. And um, you may know that Greece has had seriously difficult economic problems for at least the last 15 years. 
um, since it entered the European Union. So there have been some advantages, but there have also been some disadvantages. And this economic crisis has brought people to the brink of um, financial collapse. Lots of unemployment, lots of homelessness, people moving back in together, government breakdown, basically no health care, no, you know, system of, of uh, social systems. So people have taken to organizing themselves in a way like in the time bank too, you know, in other words, get together, right. help each other. And it isn't about money. It's about, you know, what you, what you can do or what you can collect and gather together. So these people got together and um, the way it works is that every person who wants to or has the time or has food makes 10 warm meals on a Sunday afternoon. Um, they can make them before and heat them up, whatever. These people commit to making for that Sunday 10 warm meals. And they're either picked up by somebody else who's going down there or there's a drop-off place where people bring their 10 meals and on the top they mark, you know, what it is. And other people get together and collect all of this and then they've managed to get um, bakeries and other companies and businesses in Athens to donate so that um, Sunday evenings at six o'clock, we gather at a certain place now it's done in the port of Piraeus and we pack um, little bags with warm meals. And each bag also has a piece of fruit, a piece of bread, a pastry, a water, um, a pack of tissues, um, some sand hand sanitizer and utensils in it and a piece of fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the homeless people or the low income people, also a lot of families and, and older people, seniors, same as when, when you and I go out to feed here. It's not all homeless people. It's also a lot of low-income people or seniors who can't make ends meet. And right. they come and whatever's left over is then taken out either by moped or by car to certain areas of town to the people directly. And this is what attracted me or what I liked about it. It's not like a soup kitchen handing out food. It's going to the people to their point of need where they're sleeping at a bus stop or where they can't get up anymore. Mm -hmm. I call them and this is the group that I look after and in my mind is the non-mobile destitute basically. Right. Um, which are people who can't necessarily get down to a food bank or get down to, to, to a place for a whole lot of issues. They're in a wheelchair. They can't walk that far. They have drug issues. They have open wounds on their feet. They have, it, it's just manifold. And one of the reasons behind that is also because they have no place to leave their things. Right. If you, if you've lost everything in your life, what you carry on your back or in your bag, um, that's your whole life there. That's what, what's left, what's left of your life mm -hmm. from your dignity. And you're not going to leave that lying somewhere. Right. Um, because it'll be stolen or whatever. So either they look for somebody else to look after it. That's not always easy. There's a lot of fighting and that goes on and a lot of jealousy. And if one has more than the other one or whatever. And the buses don't allow you to take certain things on the local buses. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it's a big problem um, for those without residence um, to what do they do with their things. So therefore, they're not as mobile as people tend to think. And a lot of people think, well, there's all these soup kitchens and distribution points and all these other things. And it's like, yeah, there are, but um, that's not always an easy solution or easy access. I must say that I help in a variety of places and I run into some of my favorite customers on all these different places. Mm -hmm. So some are mobile, but my, my point is um, if there are people who live at a bus stop for whatever reason and they can't get down somewhere, then I'm going to go to that bus stop and feed them. Yeah. One of the, the places I noticed was a, a bus stop that had a yeah. covering over it. And there was, there was a bit like six guys in this one little compartment area with their stuff, their suitcases and everything like that. Walkers. One was in a wheelchair. Yes. You could see that they had issues and that they could not really travel too no. far at all. And they were so grateful to get the food that you had prepared for mm -hmm. them, you know, and I noticed they kept all wanting mashed potatoes. <laughs> I, I don't know what it was about mashed potatoes. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the interesting part. And this is one of the things I get because I do do these, this boots on the ground work, as I call it, is I get invited to speak or question or whatever to, to a bunch of different networking events also within the, the, those who take care of the homeless community in Florida through the time bank um, in Pinellas County, whatever, about what's really going on because um, things like I just explained to you, the mobility issues, but also then the other, the other big issues, they have no teeth. Most of them have no teeth. Right. So we're not a, we're not gonna get them. I don't know. There's a lot of things they can't eat. Then a lot of them eat out of the dumpster. So you don't want to hand out hamburgers. That's what they're eating basically out of the dumpster. Right. Um, in one way or another. So I've found and, and people there used to be this thing, you know, or the reason I think the soup kitchen issue is there is because during the depression when soup kitchens started, soup was the only cheap thing you could cook, basically. Mm -hmm. And it also allowed you to dump whatever was left over and lying around into that stew. And and the attitude was, well, if they're really hungry, they'll be grateful for anything that there is to eat. But I have two, I have two points. I want my food to bring comfort. And I want to stuff as much vitamins <laughs> and fruit and vegetables as I can get into everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and so after a, some trial and error um, and, and learning the hard way that anything stewed or chili or whatever, it's forget it. They don't want to eat that. That's what the mush they're getting everywhere else. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and they're in love with um, my shepherd's pie um, <laughs> for a number of reasons. I think because 
it's something home cooked mm -hmm. that reminds them of hominess and maybe childhood or good memories of eating something wholesome. Somebody's cooked something for them. Um, it has meat, it has vegetables, and it has mashed potatoes on top and and maybe a little cheese or some graham, uh, some Ritz crackers on top. It just tastes really good. And it tastes like, ah, uh, like home, mm -hmm. like warm and comfort in my belly. And it's soft and, and, you know, they don't choke on it and it's not hard to chew and, and they just love it. And they don't, you know, they, um, a lot of them have issues with their digestive systems, a small wonder with what they're eating otherwise. So I try right. to keep away from tomato um, things that are aggressive, uh, too much spice, but mm -hmm. you can make wonderful <laughs> shepherd's pie with ground turkey, ground beef, ground pork, mix it up, um, put lots of veggies in it and cover it in beautiful mashed potatoes dotted with butter. And you've got some very happy campers out there. <laughs> Yeah, and I noticed too that like your neighborhood where you live, like they're very helpful in oh getting gosh, things yes. for you to cook and or pass out yes. to the homeless community. Yes, it's a bit overwhelming sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I recently I was looking for two pairs of men's shoes size twelve, and I got inundated with. <laughs> I posted a video and I wrote, I'm sorry, I don't want to seem ungrateful, but you have to understand that first of all, you know, I have to drive all over the place to pick everything up. So right. I about 40 miles um, just to pick up what I really needed was two pairs of, of, of um, 12 size 12 shoes. <laughs> I ended up with six pairs of size 12 shoes, which was great because I've been able to pass more on apparently size 12 is a, much needed, but not often donated size, mm -hmm. um, but also clothes and blankets. And oh my gosh, my whole house entryway was full to the brim. Um, so aside from picking it up, carrying it into my house because it was rainy in those days, um, it also has to be sorted. Some of it has to be washed. Right. Um, I don't believe in you know, who cares what it smells or what it looks like? You know, that's not what we do. That's not what we consider to be dignified. We don't do that anywhere um, that I work at and, and hand things out. And I will sort things out that are just too stained to, you know, if, it, if a, if a t-shirt is old, that's fine and soft, but if it's covered in food stains, that's not something you, you know, Right. That's not. And and that's sort of upsetting, too, because sometimes I feel that I'm being dumped on, you know, because it's great. Here's this person I'm going to pick up my declutter. Um, but so it, it's a it's a two sided sword sometimes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lots of helpfulness between all the different organizations. But sometimes I wish people would use some thought. Um, you know, three bathrobes. What What are my homeless people going to do with three bathrobes? Right. You know, that's great. But bring those to a senior home. Mm -hmm. Take them to the Veterans Association. 
Um, put children's clothes or, you know, put children's clothes in the children's donation. I don't, thank God I don't have homeless children. I'm very happy that I, you know, don't have them, that they're taken care of um, by other organizations or that I don't happen to have an area of town where they are because, you know, but that's the kind of thing because I have to do that too. <laughs> Yeah, I, it is a lot of work. I know it's a labor of love, but oh, absolutely! <laughs> tell me what? How did you get started in doing all this? I know over in Greece, but what compelled you to just do it? Though I mean, there was something deep in your heart to make you want there's to a, do yeah, this. Yeah, I think there's several things. I think that um, living in Germany, we have a, a we're lucky to have a system that takes care of people, mm -hmm. um, a social welfare system that basically the amount, the small amount of homeless that we still have anyway, are general people, generally people who want to not live indoors. We have that too. And there's a bunch of cold night buses and other things that take care of them when it gets really cold. Um, so we do have a system that looks after people in all sorts of ways by assisting with income and low-income housing in a very different way because it's um, you're entitled to it. Let's put it that way, okay? Mm -hmm. So the amount of volunteer work isn't a lot. There is work with refugee work and, and things like that, but there's not this type of let's go out and build something together or let's get together and clean up this lot that's turned into a dog dump um, mm. and things like that, like they do here, you know, where people will get out together and clean up areas and, and, and do things like that and enjoy that they're doing something for the community. It's a state of mind. And that's something that I missed a lot living in Europe and, and um, where the Germans by nature can be somewhat egotistical <laughs> when it comes to helping others. They're quick to find somebody else to help them. You know, it's like, well, that's what we pay taxes for. Why should I clean up after my dog? That's why I pay dog taxes, you know, kind of attitude. So um, going out and feeding people when you don't have to mm -hmm. <laughs> is not something that most people do. Um, I've always, always enjoyed cooking for large crowds. Um, I did a lot of large cooking with, for a lot of exchange organizations. I had a lot of exchange students and au pairs um, there. So I've always been involved in that kind of group activity, community activity. I also was in the pool association that we had there, our outdoor pool association. And, and I did a lot of events and charitable events and other stuff like that. So it's always been sort of my radar. I probably, if I had been any good at studies and not grown up in the wild 70s, I may have maybe become a lawyer, but I didn't. <laughs> I chose a different path. Um, at the same time, I always wanted to come back and retire in Florida. It was my big wish. I worked really hard to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was not just being able to live in flip-flops and shorts 
and finally own a house, but it was also about being able to give back to the community, to volunteer, to look where I could help improve and change things because change is something I believe in and I believe strongly in the fact that we have to do it. It, you know, talking about changes and enough, you have to take the first step. You have to do be the change. So, um, and I was lucky personally that I went through some things in my life, both addiction and rehab and private bankruptcy with my ex-husband and so on and so forth, where I was lucky to have a, a, a support system, a government support system in parts, and also my company I work for, who helped me get through that and overcome that. Mm -hmm. And um, and that also taught me that it can happen to anybody. Right. We, so many of us, not everyone, not the super rich, but a lot of us are just a few checks away from, you know, not being able to make their mortgage, not being able to whatever, you know, your car breaks down, this happens, that happens, you need, you know, I went to the dentist yesterday, it's not covered by my insurance. And I got lucky that the dentist agreed to clean my teeth for $315. Um, you know, that's not something that everybody can do. And, and I was a luck, I was lucky. I was also lucky Last year, when I retired officially in July of, two, uh, of 2019, after 43 years with my company and was entitled to receive German, uh, my German Social Security pension, but instead of taking it three months to get through, it took seven months to get through. So for six months, I had no income at all. Right, right. And luckily, my parents stepped in and lent me the money until the payback from that but I wouldn't have been able to meet my mortgage payments. Wow. You, you know what I find interesting is over in Europe, over in Germany and, and, and other countries over there, like you said, there's a support system put in place and it's not hard to get the help that people need, right? Over no. there. And it's the interesting thing, I think if you, if you look at certain things, whether it's burnout or for example, addiction, uh huh. Um, if you're employed and you have an addiction problem, whatever it is, right? Including now internet gaming addictions, you can go to your social worker in the company you work for, or to the German Social Security and say to the pension and say, "I have an addiction problem, but I want to get off it. Please send me to rehab," and they will send you. For, to paid full paid rehab for an original 16 weeks and up to a, a, a follow-up of, of six months after that. Wow. And I have been in rehab with people who've been there four times. Wow. So, because the relapse number in rehab is over 50% relapse within the first six months, sadly. Right. But the German government's attitude as far as... Uh, um, cures, uh, rehabilitation of all types, physical and mental, is that if you're employed, you're paying into the social security system, basically. And anything that they can do 
to help you become healthy enough to continue working at your job or to reschool into another job will make you a continuing member of society who's capable of working and paying into the system and not living off of the system. Right. So basically there's no condoning of, you know, it, it's not, Ooh, you drink or Ooh, you do drugs. You know, it's like, um, you want to get away from this. You have a problem, whatever the cause may be, let us help you do that because our goal is to get you working and, and healthy again. We, we don't have that here in place with no. our corporations at all. No, like, or the government. And or the it, government. No, exactly. And, you know, and we experience burnout here a lot. Oh, yeah. It's become much worse. And you'll find, I mean, the interesting thing, and there is what you don't have here, which you have over there, you have a lot of ageism problems over there in employment. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, therefore, a lot of people who are 50 and who have been in their businesses long term, they either, their contracts are too expensive, um, they have other issues, um, and basically the productivity, see, over years, everywhere, this is a global uh, problem. Productivity has gone up because all the companies worldwide have reduced the amount of people working for them by not replacing those who leave. So therefore, you could, if you look at productivity um, numbers, they've gone up just for the fact that if you worked, I worked in a place where we were three and three full-time and one part-time person, mm -hmm. and I was the part-time person. The three full-time people left, and I was doing three and a half jobs as the part-time person. Right. <clears throat> because they weren't replaced. And that was fine when I was 35 or 40. It wasn't fine when I was 55. Exactly. I, I totally understand that. I mean, it's like. I didn't have the energy. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was amazing because it, it came and went suddenly. Um, it's, a, of course, also, it also falls in a time where women are changing into the third part of their life. So right. a lot of things are changing in their life and for them physically and personally. It's not always an easy time, okay? Mm -hmm. So at the same time, there's being pressure applied on productivity. And once you turn 50, the magical number, your company starts picking at you, you know, don't you want to retire soon? Don't you have a husband who earns enough so you can go? Mm -hmm. You know, and they start putting the pressure on at a time where you're more susceptible, let's put it that way, to emotional pressure. And it becomes it becomes a problem. So they're going to up the ante by giving you tasks and jobs that they know you can't complete. Um, they're going to put more and more pressure on you basically to try to make you ill enough so that either the system will absorb you or where you can break down altogether so they can replace you with somebody who's young and costs less money. Right. This is exaggerated, but, but this has been happening globally um, 
for a long time. What's brought a little bit of alleviation for people in their 50s is being able to work at home. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Sorry. That's okay. Drinking water because I have a scratchy throat. Um, I tell, I always tell people they're going to come on here, be sure to grab that water because it will, the talking, it, it will dry you out. It, it yeah. happens to do that. So, and um, I'm going to see if my mom has a candy in her drawer. She usually does. <laughs> no, not this time. Um, anyway, so yeah, so there's a lot of that going on and um, it's, I, I, I find, um, if I look over, I've been doing now work with the homeless, with the food bank and so on and so forth since I came to Florida in 219, uh, mm -hmm. 218. Right. And things have changed. Um, <clears throat> there's more mental, more drugs, more LGBTQ, more... Just the situation seems to be getting worse. <coughs> yeah, it is. Go get a piece of candy. Go get your piece of candy. Yeah. So, so I I agree with uh, with Karen, uh, especially because I'm in my fifties too as well, and all of my life. Um, up until recently, uh, you know, the last part of my the mid forties until present, which I'm fifty four years old now, uh, I I have noticed that what Karen is saying is correct because they will try your patience. They don't have any understanding because all of the people that are in management or HR and all that stuff, they're younger people. You know, yeah. because they got rid of the most experienced ones mm -hmm. and they got these younger people and they have no clue what you're experiencing with the workforce or anything like that whatsoever. No. Mm -mm. None. No. None. So, mm -hmm. and it's sad, but the, the, a lot of people, we have an organization here, AARP, mm -hmm. that talks about going into business for yourself in your 50s or 60s after you retire start a new career you know do something different something fun if you can but how many people have the means to do that i went into early retirement and um it cost me mm -hmm. to do that right um a certain amount of money but most of the people most of the people i know who are my age or who worked with me we've all done it just because we can't take it anymore and it's been heartbreaking in a way because we are very people who work for my airline we are especially when you've worked there for over 40 years it's our family you know mm -hmm. very very attached to it <laughs> We have a huge senior alumni organization and, you know, everywhere and we're all still together. And some of us who met at training measures, you know, 30 years ago, still meet up with each other all over the world. It's, it's amazing. And it was really hard for us, but we found that, first of all, all the crises that have been going on and the 
reorganizing and the downsizing. It wasn't the business we had known. <coughs> and the pressure on us was just unbearable. And we said, no, we'll go. Right. And, and to me, they should have like, they should have like retrained y'all. They should have worked with you with, you know, less hours, put more people, made you, you know, uh, work. That's not you the way more. it works though, Sandy. I know. Those times it's are sad. Those times, those times were in the 90s. Um, I even helped establish some of those options within the company um, it, of people being able to, who, when the first Gulf War was there and everybody had to downsize, especially in the airline industry, mm -hmm. um, we, we put in further education and, and re-education measures in to uh, help people get other jobs but <laughs> the controllers aren't interested in that it's all numbers and money now oh i know i i know and 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 here you know just uh i'm really sorry about this cough it's that's still. okay take your time <laughs> uh tonight uh my son took me up to Publix because i can't go shopping by myself because i can't be carrying a bunch of crap by myself anymore uh he goes let's do the automated checkout and i'm like no we're not gonna do that because that's somebody's job yes no <laughs> No, we're going to go stand in line. We're going to wait for the crash register girl and, you know, or man or whoever it was and yeah. go through the line because that's what they want us to do. They want us to do our own work everywhere we go. Well, that's the, way, that's the way flying has become, right? Mm -hmm. you, 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 you book your own ticket, um, mm -hmm. you check yourself in, you put the tag on your bag, uh, <laughs> You put it on the belt. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, we were still, when I started at check and we wrote the tags and we wrote the boarding passes. And, um, but yeah, that's what I feel too. And, and that annoys me in America when it comes to tipping. <coughs> so right. I, I'm calling the pizza place. I'm placing my order. I'm driving there and picking it up and I'm supposed to tip you for that. Exactly. <laughs> I understand that. For doing your job. <laughs> I understand that. But if they're going to do, if, if the companies are going to uh, minimize the number of employees that they need, the employers are going to minimize the number of employees they need. Then at some point we need to be on some kind of universal income yeah so that you know since they don't need us or you know plus or send us back to school pay for our education and something that they're not going to do that in which i don't know where that is right now what what field could you go into other than medicine because they do need nurses i think the hospital i mean this is a, this is an old you know, this is the question that those of us who used to blog or those of us who um, are in, in corporate management or who do project management or other types of consulting, 
that's always the big question. You know, where are things going? What should people study? What are the jobs of the future? Um, <coughs> the hospitality industry in some way is going to remain. Um, the IT industry remains. Right. The conditions, the conditions get worse. Right. <laughs> A lot of people going into hospitality hate it. Yes. Once they're in it. Yes. And I don't blame them. I couldn't do that. Well, it's, it's, there's really good jobs, for example, to be had in hotel management. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do it. Seriously not. Because, um, there's businesses, they're, they're young people's businesses, you know, no weekends, no nights off, double shifts, uh, call me up anytime, pay me crappy. Um, don't give me the additional benefits that everybody used to have. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, my, my son's, uh, girlfriend has been looking for a new job and, and she's actually getting one out of a company out of California. That's going to let her stay and live here in Florida and work remotely. And they have unlimited PTO. I've never heard of unlimited PTO. What is that? I've never heard of that before. That's incredible. I mean, one of the reasons I worked in Europe for 43 years, I had six weeks paid vacation every year and 13 and a half monthly pays. Wow. We don't have that here. No. <laughs> and I'm retired with three pensions. Wow. You know, it's like people are like, well, why didn't you come back sooner? I'm like, why would I? Um. It was great. No, I, <laughs> but, I hear you. It, but at the same time, things were moving to the right everywhere, mm -hmm. all over Europe. And I'm a, I'm a liberal lefty, in case you haven't known. <laughs> and I just have a really hard time dealing with this um, outspokenness of... of um, intolerance towards others but we don't want to talk about politics but um for me i still feel that i i still feel free here to a certain extent i feel this is my country <laughs> and i'm glad to be back in it and we're glad you're back in it because you've made such a big difference here in the St. Petersburg area. We're so blessed to have you back. We're thankful. How did you find the time bank? How did you come to join the St. Pete time bank? I think Gina. <laughs> ah, Gina. Gina, our, because Gina was my go-to with anything I needed. Um, and also, of course, through the our Lakewood Estates Association, which is the group where I live here in Lakewood, I was looking for a used freezer to be able to freeze some of the food donations that I pick up at all the different churches and food banks and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, if somebody has a used freezer, you know, they're not using anymore, I'd love to have it to put, freeze some homeless food in it. And um, yeah, the neighbors got together and bought me one. A nice. Brand new one. Yeah, so... That was like, that really blew me away. I couldn't believe it. And um, it was just, I don't know. There's just some things, you know, during COVID, my dad turned 90 and we couldn't have a, 
we couldn't have a party for him. Um, but we, at the time, we wrote it up in Lakewood Estates, and everybody drove by and sang and waved. And, you know, he it just made him so happy. It was such a, um, yeah. Aw. I, I like that about this this uh, this area in, in the different little communities of St. Petersburg that yeah. people really do care. Like I joined the St. Pete Time Bank before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, I lost Cecil during the pandemic, not yeah. because of the pandemic, but because of cancer. And everybody stepped, I had no income coming in after he passed away because we were mm-hmm. relying on his income. And people stepped up and brought me money, brought yes. me food, called me, make sure I was getting through this okay. It was so beautiful. Yes. And I like that. So we, you know, we figured out a way here in St. Petersburg to overcome the government or, you know, some kind of thing, you know, some kind of subsidy or something like that. And they actually step in and help you, your own community, the people, yes. your peers. But see, this is also, um, this is a, it has to do also with upbringing. Um, Different societies and different countries have different ways of, yeah, of social interaction, just out of who they are, their history, their tradition. You see that, you know, there's a reason why everybody ahas at British humor, which is very different from anything else. But, um, and having brought up a child in, in both cultures, having been brought up as a child in several cultures, but also bringing up a child between Germany and American culture, which is very different. Um, Germans in particular, my ex-husband, but he was a, a typical example of, of educated, but, you know, people from the country basically, um, blue collar workers and things like that. And it was very me, myself and I, you know, mm-hmm. um, and in simple things going out of, a a store and not looking behind you, if you're, you know, slamming the door in somebody's face and things like that, things that, that irked me as an American, because never ever, you know, uh, would you do that? You would look behind you. You would hold the door open. You would make sure that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and here you always excuse yourself. Oh, pardon me. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and over there, they'll run you over, you know, literally when you're walking down the street and they'll give you a dirty look that you crossed in front of their path. Um, or you'll get, we lived in the city the whole time, so we often didn't have a car and our child, and we lived with public transportation all the time. Mm-hmm. So you have your baby carriage and, you know, getting either on the tram or into the subway or whatever, you know, and it does take up space. <laughs> and people would run and push in front of you to get through the door before you did. Oh. And, and, and you would often be left standing on on the platform to wait for the next one because there was no more space even though you had been the first one at the door so these are things that that always sort of um irks me about (laughs) living in that society and i made damn well sure um that my son was not like that 
and um, table manners were also something very important in our family um, to obsession, as a matter of fact, making sure that we use the proper, the proper um, uh, 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 ways, whether we were sitting at a French table or an American table. Anyway, and, and my ex-husband used to say to me all the time, he's like, why are you teaching him manners? about my son and i'm like well, how can you ask that question you know right <laughs> manners are manners you teach people manners please thank you you know and people would say to me well what's the difference between american parenting and german parenting and i would say well let's take for example parenting magazine okay the cover of the german parenting magazine would say do children have to be polite oh gosh the American one would say how best to make your children polite in all occasions, you know, it, it was just this, this totally different view of things. And, um, we're here. My son, um, is considered considerate and polite, right? Normal and natural because he was raised well mm -hmm. <laughs> in Germany. He's considered really strange because he's so polite and yeah. has great manners. <laughs> Um, so, so it's really interesting at the same time, he learned waitering in Germany, the correct and official European way right? with certificates. So he's well liked, of course, by the restaurant bosses who love the fact that he does know how to wait properly and will stand with his hands behind his back when he's standing there and so on and so forth. So it's, it's an interesting thing to move between the cultures and the way that we do and in our family both in my family of origin and in my family with my son we changed languages several times in the middle of a sentence uh, <laughs> <laughs> people who are around us <laughs> but for us it's just natural we'll forget the word in the one language that we're looking for so we'll just switch <laughs> that is so cool i like that then we'll get back <laughs> it's your brain it's just functioning and it's going oh there we go that's the word i want that's yeah really cool. and, it, and it's you know and and um we're not uh, my son and my ex-husband and i we weren't religious and then germany christmas is always a a, a three-day affair um and and we would watch all our friends um you know they had to go first to his mother and then to her mother and then to this one's grandparents and to those ones was like all was the whole three days they were off eating somewhere and eating cake and all the other stuff you know and if they didn't go there the other ones would be upset we were just like yeah so we took in all the exchange students and all the foreign students and all the au pairs or whoever um was hanging around and had no place to go on christmas mm -hmm. I filled our house with all these different nationalities and all we did was play games the whole, week, the whole oh, time. Wow. And on the last Christmas evening, we had a thank heavens Christmas is over party. Um, oh. where everybody, all our friends came and we're like, Oh, finally, <laughs> just to wrap it up. So yeah, we've always played the lines and felt comfortable between cultures and, and um, it's part of what I really loved about my job also working in all these different cultures, whether I was in India 
or in the Middle East or, you know, wherever it was they sent me. That is so amazing. So for so for some of our listeners who are listening to us, would you recommend just taking up and going to another country and immerse yourself in their culture and, you know, have that type of adventure that you did? I think so. I think things have changed, of course, and the COVID situation is difficult. But if that wasn't there, um, I would encourage anyone to do some kind of one-year program in another country, whether it's um, the Parliamentary Congress program for people who have studied um, in Germany, whether it's going to work as an au pair. I had, we had a lot of au pair boys, not just girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I had a, you know, I had only one child and he was a son and we had a lot of uh, girls, but we also had a lot of au pair boys and yes, maybe they didn't, you know, cook as well as the girls, but they were great at playing soccer and bicycling and doing, you know, playing Legos on the floor and whatever. Any, any type of program that will let you immerse and either live with a family, because that's the easiest way to learn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you're going as a family abroad, if you can go for a longer period of time to definitely try to get an Airbnb somewhere um, or some kind of rental where you can go to the local market, where you can, um, you know, uh, 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 do your your language learning and, and use your phrases and immerse yourself into that. Yes, because you also get a different perspective on your own country, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people, people, of course, said to me, oh, my God, you're going back to America now. How can you do this with the political climate and all this other stuff? And I'm like, you don't know anything about America as, as little as they, as Americans know about Germans. Right. <clears throat> and it's hard to explain. And you become, I once wrote about it for my blog, what it's like to be the American ambassador to every silly question about America. You know, um, you're expected to explain every political situation. Uh, <laughs> thing, you know, every law and why people would vote for this person. And, why they don't do something about guns and why they, you know, you have to have the answer to everything. And, and um, there's no answer for everything in this country though. There's not. And, and it's the same way too. There's a bunch of amusing and fun books. Um, there, I think they're called the xenophobia guides to whatever country where they sort of mock and typify but you'll uh-huh. find that there's a lot of truth in it, and it makes for amusing reading if you know somebody for that country or if your grandma came from that country or if you're planning on visiting there. You know, take things with humor. Try your best. Um, don't let people discourage you. A lot of people speak English abroad, but you persevere and you say that sentence three times, even if it's wrong in the other language, they'll correct you. At some point, they'll stop answering in English. Um, go out and discover the world because it widens your horizon. It helps you look more closely and, um, yeah. And don't look away from things that you think make you uncomfortable. And basically, you know, well, what can I do to help? I don't know. We pass so many different places and you probably do too every day. 
certain people, same people on the same street corner, put some bottles of water in your car, make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on, on hamburger or hot dog rolls because they're soft, put them in a bag, hand them out with a box of raisins and, and, and you know, some wipes and a bottle of water and you'll make somebody's day. Right. I, I agree with you. I, I've been, uh, like you, uh, when I first moved over to Hawaii back in the 90s, uh, there, I, I was surprised. There's homeless people in Hawaii, right? Yeah, and, there's homeless people everywhere. Yeah, uh, but I was, wasn't expecting to see it. And, uh, and, and I would go home and I would bake food and yeah. just go put it in a bag and pass it out to several of them out there. And my my then husband, he would go, why do you do that? And I said, I don't know. You know, I was the first to take strays. At, I, I, I kid you not, Karen. Uh, I would bring complete homeless strangers. I've learned not to do okay. that anymore. Uh, it's kind of dangerous sometimes. Um not all the time. A lot of them were very grateful and everything like that. It's just getting them out of your house because once yes. they, that's, that's the hard part. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day if I used to hitchhike. I'm like, of course we hitchhike. I also take hitchhikers into my car. At least I do in Europe. Um, I've done that here. Oh, I've, I've done that here too. But, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh. I know, know but I do. If somebody needs something. I don't mind being just like you. I don't mind being that first person to help you. No, I don't. I, I don't. At, I'll stop at a bus stop if it's pouring rain and there's no cover over it and say, can I take you up the road at least a couple of stops? Mm -hmm. Can I give you a towel? I always have towels in my car when it rains. That's another thing. Hand out towels. Right. And, and stay, you know, again, if you don't come from fear, and you stay yeah. positive and you're helping these people, I guarantee you no harm is going to come to you. No, no harm is going to come to me. I've learned, um, I had that experience last weekend. I didn't have anybody to go out with me. I had Jasper out with me for a while and then I went somewhere and it was uncomfortable being there alone where I said, okay, um, I'm obviously when I'm totally alone, I'm not going to do that certain stop anymore. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's not going to make me afraid of other things, but I decided and I discussed it with Jasper and I said, you know what? I didn't feel comfortable there. And he's like, mom, don't do it when you're by yourself. Just do it on the days where there's somebody else with you. That's right. Did, did you, you know? did you post uh, in the St. Pete time Bank Facebook page that you needed help that day? No, because somebody I had I had recently met a woman uh -huh. who had donated something. She was going to go with me. Ah! And at the last minute, it thundered and lightninged. Oh, she was, and she was afraid to leave her dog home. Alone. Oh, I got you. I so got she you. Sampled on me, and um, I was sort of stuck. I got and, you. Um, I pulled my son out of his job for a half an hour. <laughs> I went in and in my, you know, me when I go in my my apron from cooking with my hair up and my sweatshirt on, and I was dripping wet from the rain. And I went in and I said, "Hi, can I borrow Jasper for half an hour? I need to go down the road and feed my people." And they're like, "Okay, bring him back by five. And I said, "Yes, I will." 
Aw. That's sweet yeah. that Jasper helps you out like that, oh, though. I mean, awesome. you're blessed to have such a beautiful son <laughs> like that. Such a beautiful boy who, who is. is so empathic. And he's been since he was a little boy. He went to this private school where he was often bullied and not always very happy. But he's the one who could be found sitting next to the first grader who had tears in his eyes and saying, Hey, you look like you're having a really bad day. Can I do something for you? When he was like in fourth, you know, it was like amazing. And I think he's a great camp counselor too. And his specialty is 11 to 14 year olds old, the ones that nobody wants to take care of. Right. And he's like, that was my worst time at school. That's why I can totally relate to them. And I love having them as my kids. When I'm camp, camp, yeah. So <laughs> that's good. Collects grades like you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good advice, though. Is when you're helping out people, go to that spot where you remember something yes. that happened to you that you can connect with those people, and then there's this beautiful symbiotic flow of energy between the two of you or the three or whatever and you can yes. get through any situation it's 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 amazing you know because i hadn't because my you know dad had been so sick and then he passed away and i hadn't been out feeding my people you were out with me i think um the second time i'd been out and and um when i was out with jasper this past not this weekend the weekend before and i, I went out because it had also been raining and some of my regulars showed up and they're like, oh, there you are. Where have you been? You uh, and they're like, oh, we've missed your food and we've missed your tea. And we've met, you know, and I'm like, did you get food for your dad? Yes, I did, ma'am. You know, and, and I don't know. People are just, um, you know, they, I squeeze their arm. I give them a big smile. They know it's me because of the red nose on the front of my car. Um, I, I leave there with a sense of sadness in a way because and there's so much need out there, but also with a sense of gladness because I've made somebody's day. And one, one, I went up to St. Vincent de Paul's with the rest I had left over when I was on my own last week. And they don't feed on Saturdays. So I took the rest of my food up there and a long line was there and I managed to give everybody something to eat. And this wow. guy that I meet all over town and who never wants much. And, 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 and he's like, Nope, that's all I need. That's all I need. And, and I looked at him, I said, do you need anything else? And he was like, Nope, I've got everything I've got. And I saw that his shoulders were wet. And I said, I bet you, you could use a towel. And he's like, you've got a towel for me. <laughs> I Aww. said, I sure do. And I said, you know what? I've got this really pretty purple and green towel it's gonna go so nice with your eyes and i put it around his neck and swung it over his shoulder like a shawl and he gave me this huge smile and was just really it just made his day you know and that's what it's about oh yeah yeah i, I mean <laughs> I, I one of the things that comes to mind is um we uh edgar khan saying there's no disposable human being no. And you're proving that by going out and, and giving these people respect and dignity 
Yes. With what you're doing. Yes. And that's what I, all I can do that and keep my promises. Um, when you and I were out, the guys needed shoes and mm -hmm. I was there the next week with their shoes and, and somebody else was there with the same size and I handed them out and he's like, I knew you would come. I knew when you say you'll come, you'll come. Right. Yeah. And, and, and they like that because it makes them feel valued yes. as a human being. And absolutely. we all need to feel that. Yes, absolutely. And that's what it's about, you know. And for me, you ask me, why do I do it? I don't know. I just think if that was me and it could be me, it could have been me at any point in my life, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I would have been so happy if somebody reached out to me and was there for me and brought me something to eat and something to wear and, you know, a comb for my hair and some shoes for my feet, a cup of tea. Yeah. It can made, me, made me feel that I wasn't all alone and that I still have value as a human being. Well, it can happen to any of us at any time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow because no. we're not promised that life's going to be hunky-dory tomorrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? You, you yeah. just don't know. And so it, it's, it's nice to know that there's people out there like you, uh, the, the, the people that, you know, that uh, create that sense of community and, and bondness and that there's programs out there too as well for the yeah, people that I can get to yeah. them. Do you I, have some kind of donation thing like uh no I don't actually. you mm -hmm. so should so I really should I really should I don't know I just you know people keep saying to me you should hook up with this church organization with them I'm like oh I like what I do you know I have I'm free I don't answer to anyone I can spend the amount of time in the way I want to with the people there, with their stories, with their needs. And, um, you know, I just, I'm an independent spirit. <laughs> I always have been. I know, but you can, you could set up like a GoFundMe page or yeah, a PayPal thing where people could I, do online donations. I, you know, I quite honestly, there's nothing I don't get that I need. I know. I see that. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And it becomes then that that's what I tried to explain to all the groups. And I said, look, I, I really appreciate your helping, but believe me, I'll reach out when I need something. Right. <laughs> because we're a huge network um, of people. Um, from other people who do things just the way I do to all the different food banks and homeless organizations and everything. And we organize amongst each other and we give to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we give, I'll, I'll sort through. And when I bring clothes to the cottage, I'll give them to Terry already in a bag that says these can go straight to Casa, okay, right. to the women's shelter. Um, store because we i can't use them and i know what they need at the cottage and we can't use them there either so they can go straight there or um you know when people offer me kids stuff i say take it to uh, uh clothes for kids mm -hmm. and they have a container out back put it straight into there it's going to go exactly where it needs to go it's a great organization um and things like that so 
um, when I need plastic forks and, and, and stuff, I, I've got everything. I have two deck boxes um, outside my house so that not everything comes into my house. <laughs> right, right. Um, that are all cleared and sorted and I know exactly what's in there and Jasper knows exactly what's in there. So if somebody comes to pick something up, he knows where to look for it. Mm -hmm. or how to pack the car or whatever, you know, blankets are in here, towels are there, plastic stuff is over there, the clothes are in different bins, so I'm pretty darn good organized. <laughs> so um, I don't really need money. <laughs> no, you're very resourceful. I know you go to the food pantries uh, oh, to get yeah, food. Yes, and every once, you know, on, on, on special occasions, I get extra things. Um I'll get from from Hope Villages of America or whatever when they make their big boxes up for the end of the year campaigns to the soup kitchens. I get a soup kitchen box, which is great because then I get a big bottle of oil and things like that. Mm -hmm. you know? um, but but no, I don't need money. <laughs> I, you know, something that came to my mind. Are with the homeless people, are they allowed to have like, like tents? Wouldn't tents be a good idea for them? You know, little one man pump tents so that they have shelter for the night when they're sleeping. Yain, yeah, as they say in Germany, which means <laughs> yes and no. Okay. <laughs> um, Yain. <laughs> Um, I have some clients, I have other people besides the ones I feed that I take care of. They live in a tent in a specific uh -huh. place. Somebody meant very well and got them a huge tent to live uh -oh. in. And the huge tent has pre presented huge problems. Right. <laughs> Every time the wind kicks up, which it has really badly in the last couple of days, the tent, they, they can't go anywhere. They have to stay there and hold on to the tent so it doesn't blow away. So they uh -huh. get we had to get tarps to put around the tent to break down the wind. And so it's oh like, yeah. Um, tents are also not allowed everywhere. Right. Um, what basically sleeping bags are always good. Sleeping bags, backpacks, uh -huh. very needed, and sometimes things like sort of the thicker yoga mats that you put under your sleeping bag so you're not sleeping directly on the wet ground. Uh -huh. they roll up. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, you those, have to those yoga that. mats are expensive too. They're like twenty five no. and thirty dollars yeah. for those. Well, you can get sometimes you get the five dollar ones, which are fine because basically you see what happens is, and this is part of the problem. That's why things like shower and empower are great because um they offer showers and a way to wash your clothes. Because what's happening with the homeless people only have that one set of stuff. So if it's really rainy and really windy and really gross out, they're going to sleep in the mud in the one set of whatever they have, which is right. not a sleeping bag with a blanket, um, in their clothes, because that's all they got. They're not taking their clothes off and putting pajamas on it, right? despite what people think sometimes in their donation boxes. Ah. Um, so, and when they're wet, they're going to go somewhere to get a new set of clothes and just leave the rest behind. So when it rains, you see large, huge piles of wet clothes and wet blankets and 
things lying on the side of the road that have been discarded by the homeless people because what are they supposed to do? How are they right. supposed to dry them or wash them or whatever? So um, I wish we could get more mobile buses with showers and washing machines that mm -hmm. could cover more frequently parts of the city mm -hmm. um, and get people to be able to do that. But it's hard. There was a shower and empower uh, this week on Friday. Um, some of the people I look after regularly, I contacted them three times, sent them the thing, uh -huh. asked them again, I'll take you there, I'll pick you up, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they didn't go. They, you know, you can't, you can offer it, but you can't make people go there. Not even when you pick them up and drive them there. It's just the way it is sometimes. You've so got so to, that, that shower and power thing is not mobile. It's it's just some. Yes, it is. It is. But there's one and it it's in different locations. I actually got the um, the list of all the mobile shower and uh, clothes washing opportunities. They Victoria Kelly from the uh, uh, Homeless Alliance for Pinellas County sent it to me, which is great. So now I have it. But mm -hmm. um basically if we could do more you know if there was more of that more mobile places or if the cold night shelter um wasn't only open three days a year right um and if you know when i when i talk to the people up and down the street that i take care of and i know the mobile shelter is going to be uh, the cold night shelter is going to be open i'll drive down the street and roll down my window and say hey guys the you know, the cold night shelter is open tonight. And they're like, yeah, we were in there last night. And they checked us out at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's cold. Yes. <laughs> so some of them are like, well, that's great. But, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, they no. were back out at six. The sun wasn't even up. It was freezing. Yeah. Um, that, what's the point? And no uh, breakfast, you know. And no, 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 no. They need to change that. And they and they should try. They could, should call it the inclement weather shelter. So whenever we have storms that are coming through, you know, rain yeah. and, and hurricanes. Yes, exactly. Or um, in Germany, they use a lot of buses. Oh, old school buses. They drive around where they know the homeless are. And they let them come in and sleep there for a few hours in the warm bus and give them some tea. Right. <laughs> and just warm them up. That's because nice. They, because they know that people don't want to go. They mm -hmm. don't want to go indoors. They, they want to warm up. They're cold, you know. They want to feel, and then they're okay. And then they'll go out and, you know, sleep off the rest of the night. So it drives around all night long. Um on those nights where it's particularly cold and just stops, you know, and lets people can flag it down and they can get on and off and just warm up, have a sandwich and some warm tea. That is a really cool idea. Yeah. It really is. Yes. It's found to be the, you know, better solution because um, the shelters are difficult. Homeless people don't like going to the shelters unless they really have to. They're afraid of getting robbed. They're afraid of, you know. Right. Of getting stuck into certain requirements that they're just not interested in, you know. Right. But there are uh, 
uh, like uh, HEP in Clearwater. Like their programs that help people get people, but this isn't the hardcore homeless. I think these are people that just lost their houses or, uh, you know, a disabled veteran or something like that. And they have apartment living with, of course they have rules. Um, and they help them get a job. They give them clothes. They yeah. feed them three times a day, that type of thing. But I think that's a little different from what you do because these people you take care of definitely don't want to go by any rules whatsoever. I don't think they seem to want to have their own dignity of, you know, it's, their own empowerment. It takes, it takes, or it's all sorts of different people mm -hmm. they're all different they each have their story they mm -hmm. you know you'll find as many um, as many who do have drug issues mental problems i also know a lot of people who no longer have drug issues who've managed to get clean but they're still stuck you know they've been on the street for seven years how do you get somebody off the street after seven years I know it's a it's a difficult task, you know. Into what? I know Into what. Into what? And and if you can, if you look at this particular couple that I that I look after, they have two cats, and which is great for them. They keep them warm in the winter when it's really cold. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, they'd love to have they're like one room would be fine one room and a bathroom and a kitchen mm -hmm. you know but someplace we can take our cats and 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 they're at the bottom of the three and a half thousand people list in front of them even though he's disabled even though they're entitled wow and she can't get food stamps because she has no address right and she has no address and she has to prove that she has no income. Now, tell me, how do you prove that you have no income? Well, they it should be on us to prove that she does that she no, you know has it's on it them to prove. It's on them to prove. That's dumb. Yes, but you see, my point, and this is my point: people are entitled to things, and they're not receiving them. And my point is. We can't go that step from homeless to sheltered without making that in-between step of saying your benefits are set up, you can collect them, whether it's food stamps or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and start doing things like washing your clothes and being able to take a shower and going to an appointment and going to the dentist and getting the sores fixed on your arm and, you know, and, 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 and. Right. I liked your idea when, uh, when I first met you and they were filming uh, solutionaries in your kitchen while you were making the turkey dinner that you're going to pass out on Thanksgiving uh, about the mailbox uh, giving the a homeless locker. Yes. a locker and a mailbox for their permanent address so that they can apply for benefits. And the interesting thing about that, and that I think even shocked the man who owns the number one locker solution company in the United States and who is very well connected to 
governors and mayors and people running help organizations and so on and so forth. Basically, we developed together uh, with Gina and with some of people on his team, a thumbprint locker solution that could be a mailbox, but also a place for the homeless to, to store certain things, including their papers, mm -hmm. and to be able to receive their benefits. But also, <clears throat> when they have to go somewhere to put like a sleeping bag in there, or to keep their papers in there so they don't get stolen, or whatever the, you know, so a little bit bigger than a normal locker, maybe the size of one that you used to have at railway stations or at the airport or whatever. With right. circles and so on and so forth and registered together with the city so that it becomes an official, you know, whatever, Bartlett Park, Locker 47, St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, you know, and the city basically would just have to provide the, the location to put it there. Right. And, we had come up with, we had come up with, or I had thought up several uh, solutions where we could integrate a shower in the middle of it, where we can put solar panels on the roof so that it runs itself, mm -hmm. where, you know, uh, different, different scenarios are there depending on what kind of a unit we could do. All of that is possible because the technology is there. Right. Um, it's there. The land is there. The plumbing is not the problem. Setting up the electricity. It's not like the um, city couldn't do this in certain parks or whatever. Right. But And the point is, though, to incorporate the cities because they're the ones also, you know, handing out the food stamps and the <coughs> benefits and things. But basically the response there both from the cities and this is the response he got up in his further state further north and i've gotten here so far where everybody thinks it's a great idea but everybody tells me the cities aren't going don't want to pay for it they don't want a solution and i i believe and i mean this is just me saying i can't prove it but Sometimes I wonder if you have a certain amount of population that includes your homeless populations, that's why the counts are done too, mm -hmm. for whom you're receiving benefits, whether it's veterans or homeless, unemployed, no, 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 no. Right. You have a certain chunk that you receive both from local government and from, from, from the country, from the authorities. Mm -hmm. that's going into your yearly budget and you're supposed to be giving it out. Well, if you don't have to give it out everywhere, you can use it for other things. <laughs> um, and that's what really bugs me about the whole thing, because I believe that the cities are actually receiving, the cities and the counties are receiving the money to give it out to those who are entitled to it. Mm -hmm. using the fact that they can't contact those entitled and that there's so many red tape hurdles there, they then have the money to use for other things. And I think that's wrong. No, they should be held to the same standards of the 5013Cs that we have here to prove that you use those funds for what they were allocated for. Period yeah, well, in discussion. Yes. 
I mean, it's a it's a long discussion. It's my theory. I'm not saying, and I don't want to, uh, you know, accuse anyone of anything. But if I listen to <clears throat> what people tell me mm -hmm. regarding the hoops they have to run through um, when they go looking for that money that they're entitled to, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable mm -hmm. because this 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 circle of you have no address. Well, of course I don't have an address. I'm homeless. Yes, but you're homeless because, you know, and you need an address to get this, but you don't have an address. That's why you're entitled to that. But, you know, it's it's like they'll 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 blame it on whatever doesn't fit into the regulation. And then they'll tell them, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Well, you just have to wait a couple of weeks. Can't we send it to somebody else? Who do you send it to? Your brother, your sister, wherever they are. And then if they have good intentions, that's fine. They'll give it to you. If they don't have good intentions, you don't get it. Exactly. That's awful. You know, they, they get... One woman I know, her brother pays for her medicine. Well, when he's pissed off at her, he won't get it to her. And she has seizures. So what's she going to do? Mm. Said, well, can can you get it from the free clinic? And she's like, yeah, they said they would give it to me, but I'm not registered anywhere. Mm. So therefore, you know, I have to come back. And I said, well, make an appointment. I'll drive you up there. Well, they won't. You can only make an appointment online. You can't call, you know, and it, on and on it goes. It's just. That's, I, that's messed up. That really is. That, that whole situation is messed up. And basically, you can, you know how Sarasota deals with that? Homelessness is illegal in Sarasota. They bust That's them out. The dealing with it. They bust they them bust out, them don't out. they? Yep. That's what they would like to do here, believe me. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, well, we have, we have come uh, to the end of the show. Uh, it went pretty pretty damn quickly and I'm, I'm still <laughs> amazed that I you know I I feel like I don't know everything but we we scratched the surface tonight and I I think you came up with some really good ideas for our listeners to get out there and do something to help in their community wherever they are yeah. and I I just want to thank you so much for sharing your time <laughs> and your experience and giving us some great ideas out there so that we can get out there and get involved and help out people. Yes. Don't look away. Don't look away and don't be put off by, you know, I find that people have, have little things that says homeless, I need help and you'll stop. And I'm like, I can give you some food and they'll know oh, I want money. I said, are you hungry? Do you want some food or not? And they'll say yes or no. If they don't want it, fine. It doesn't mm -hmm. prevent me from asking the next person. But, you know, even my regulars who know 100% that I never give anybody money, they'll still come back at the end and say, you got 50 cents? And I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask me this every week. I'm like, I've answered this 10 times, you know. You know I don't give you money. I feed you. I clothe you. You tell me what you need, and you can have it. But no money here. No money. No pet food. <laughs> Aww. Well, thank you 
for <laughs> being such uh, an inspiration to us all. Thank you. And I really, you don't know how much I appreciate you and, and all that you do every week. Every and I year. appreciate when you come out and help me. I will uh, be asking you again. <laughs> and I'm going to be there for you. I can't do much other than just be there for support, but uh, you know, fine. But, <laughs> but I, I love being out there. I like talking to them and I, and I, I just love your energy. And I'm just so thankful that you took your time tonight to, to explain all this to us and, and, and give us some ideas. Do you have any last words you'd like to give our listeners before we go off here? Little things matter. It's about dignity. It's about recognizing them as human beings. And that's the most important thing, you know, um, and sometimes they want to hug me and they're filthy dirty and that's just the way it is. But so what, man, it's not going to kill me. You need a hug right now. Gosh, how often do I need a hug? I would love a hug from somebody. <laughs> uh, if, if one of my homeless people needs a hug, they get a hug from me. That's you know, they're, they're, they're humans. They have emotions and feelings and they are so... They can be sympathetic and empathetic, and they can be as selfish <laughs> as can be. So it takes all kinds to make a world. We don't know all their stories. Be patient, be understanding, and give them dignity. Oh, <laughs> good words to live by. Well, Karen, right, thank you so much for being You're on welcome. the show tonight. And I, uh, I hope that you have a fabulous rest of your weekend. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone.